we come to Genesis 28, of course, we continue our study with Jacob. And if you've been with us for the whole study in Genesis, you know we've come to a section where we've gone from, we enter into the section with the patriarchs, and we've gone from Abraham, and then just uh, really, uh, not much was really dealt with with Isaac. And then now we're into Jacob for a few studies. And then the book finishes out um, with uh, Joseph. And so we're with Jacob again this morning as we kind of look at some more things that are happening centered around his life. So let's start at verse 1 there. And I want to read through 16 and then we'll get into this. And so Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Peta Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and from there take to yourself a wife from the daughter of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he also give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your descendants with you, that you may possess the land of your sojournings, which God gave to Abraham. And then Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Peda Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Armin, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob, and Esau. Aren't you glad we don't introduce people that way today? Okay. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Peda Aram to take to himself a wife from there, and that when he blessed him, he charged him, saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And Jacob um, had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Peda Aram. And so Esau saw the daughters of Canaan displeased his father Isaac, and Esau went to Ishmael, and he married beside the wives that he had, uh, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. And then Jacob departed from Beersheba, and he went toward Haran. He came to a certain place, and he spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place, and he put it under his head, and he laid down in that place. He had a dream, and behold, a ladder was sent on the, on the earth with its top reaching to the heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, and to the north and to the south. And in you and your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Right there comes out one of the greatest promises that we find in the Word of God, that the Lord is with us, that He is our God, and that wherever we go, He is there. It, it could be said in different ways, but that truth comes out. It's like when we read in Hebrews 13.5, where the writer of Hebrews quoting Christ says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There it is, that truth. You may not know, but that quotation out of Hebrews is taken out of Deuteronomy and Joshua, where it said, Be strong and courageous, and do not be afraid or tremble at them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. And out of Joshua 1, five, where it says, No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I have been with you, I will be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. So there's that promise that comes out from the Word of God. When Jesus was sending out the disciples in the, what we know as the Great Commission at the end of Matthew, 
a passage that applies to us. He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all that I command you. And here it comes again. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And how long is the end of the age? That's the end. See, that's forever. He is with us. And so what do we see in the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from Abraham to Jacob, on to Moses to Joshua, to the first disciples of the early church, from Paul to every single believer today, that truth has been there. I am with you always. What an incredible thing to think about that that is the case. And you can imagine, can't you, living for the Lord, serving the Lord, doing the work of God, you know, without the promise that I'm with you. We'd stumble at best. We'd, we'd doubt. We would be ruled by fear. And I think many of us would finally just say, I can't do it. And yet, what a difference it makes when we have the promise that I'm with you. And so it doesn't matter. The application is when we are in that time where it seems like we are in a time of trouble or it seems like our life is falling apart, how good it is to know that he's with us. Or when we're in a time maybe like with Moses or Joshua or even Jacob, we are pressing ahead. It's good to know God is with us. And I want you to understand both those, you guys. I think it's really what you need to do as a believer in your life. There are times where we find ourselves in the pit. You know, we are in the throes of a trial. We are in the throes of a difficulty. And so we're not even thinking about pressing on at that point. We're talking about survival. And so what do we need to know? God is with us. So crucial. And yet, life should not be just one pit experience after the other, right? It really shouldn't. You know, too many believers live that way. They really do. They just are always uh, negative and just see things that way. And it's not the way we're to live. And so really, we, we need to get to the point where we can, in a sense, see like Moses or, you know, Joshua, you know, or even today when we see Jacob being asked to do what he's going to do and leave his land and, and go find a bride and all that, that we also are to be like that. We're to be making those steps and, and trusting the Lord. I was joking first service. Uh, most of you know by now, and some of you don't, and some of you don't care, and it's not that big a deal. But a few months ago, I bought a motorcycle. And uh, I've always wanted one. And so I finally, Wink and I talked and came to an agreement, and we planned. And finally, a couple months ago, I purchased just a, a beautiful bike. And it's really funny because many of you have felt it your cause in life Tell me of all the dangers of a motorcycle, okay? There have been you that have called it a murder cycle and a donor cycle, you know, and on and on and on. And I finally was telling Wink the other day, I said, listen, one more person comes up to me and tells me, uh, you know, says something about the motorcycle, I'm going to say, hey, listen, when are you going to take a risk in your life, you know? And, and again, I, 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 I'm, that isn't the point, but my, the point is that, that we are to be moving ahead. See, and I think it speaks to you and I that that's why within ourselves that that natural self, you know, you know where the natural self likes to stay. It's called the circle of comfort zone. And that's where you and I like to hang out and we like to stay right there. And anytime something happens that might push us out of our comfort zone, our instinct is instantly to try to get right back into that comfort zone. And I'll, I'll tell you guys, I'll challenge you that that is not always the way of the Lord. And I think today as we look at Jacob, and we won't talk too much about it in regards to 
Rachel or Leah, but you can apply it to them. We see that, that God took this man, just like he did with Abraham and Isaac, and now he's taken the third, the grandson, and he's pushing him. And he's saying, trust me. And so it's an important thing we want to see. And again, with that promise that I'm with you when you have to do these things. Now, having um, received the birthright and the blessing, Jacob did. Jacob, you know from our studies last week, he wasn't home free. Um, His brother Esau was so angry that he said, when dad dies, you're next. I will kill you. And so Rebecca came to her son, uh, Jacob, and remind yourself, these are grown men now, okay? little difference in how long they lived back then. But he's a grown man, and he says, listen, you need to go to my father's house to Peda Ram in Haran, uh, in Haran um, because your brother is going to take your life. And interesting, as we started chapter 28 there, especially if you remember last week, Isaac seems to be coming around and in the way that he now blesses um, uh, uh, Isaac, uh, Rebecca, uh, Jacob. <laughs> Get all those names mixed up. So before he had to be tricked into the blessing, but now it comes forth. And, and so maybe he's starting to accept that the older will serve the younger. And it would seem that he accepts it. And so he blesses his son as he, as he gets ready to leave. And the blessing was the same that the God had given to Abraham and to Isaac. And now he gives it to Jacob that he would become a great nation and a great people. And, you know, a lot of people may not like to admit it or may not like the idea. But if we read the scriptures correctly, uh, the blessings that we have in our life, uh, of course, they come from the Lord and because of what Christ did. But Israel um, played a great role in that, that it says all the nations will be blessed through them. And so indirectly, some of the things that you and I have today are a result of of these people in this nation. And so he he said to him, that's what you'll have. But he also then exhorted him to make sure you marry within your own people. And it wasn't a racial thing, but it was a spiritual thing that whoever he married was to be God-fearing. And so Jacob then began what would be about a 450-mile journey to the northeast that would keep him away from the promised land. That's where he is right now the land of his grandfather Abraham, and he'd be away now from that land for some 20 years. And then Esau, verse 6, comes back into the picture. And like Isaac, it would seem that there was some changing going on with Esau as well, as he sees that the foreign wives that he had taken had displeased his parents, and so he seeks a wife from among Abraham's son through Hagar, Ishmael. And again, um, we won't go into that anymore, but let me just say this, don't think, That is, whether it's Esau and having three wives, and I don't think this is an issue for any of you, I hope, or Jacob taking two, that the Lord was okay with that. That's the point. And, you know, we we joke and laugh, but we know if you went to Utah, this would not be a joking matter. That this is happening, and people do feel, they find scriptures like this to say, a man can have more than one wife. But what you need to remember is that, it was clear when we begin this study in Genesis that from the beginning it would be one man to one woman and the two would become one flesh. And so the Lord may have allowed it, and that's what we're seeing here, and you see it throughout the Scripture, a lot of times 
the Bible records things that God allowed, but it wasn't what the Lord wanted. And it isn't today what he wants. And so having departed, he then makes his way to a place called Bethel for the night, probably about a 60 mile journey. And you can see this map here. We'll blow this map up in just a minute. We'll get you on up north. But he's in Beersheba and he makes it just north of what we know as Jerusalem to what became known as Bethel, where he spends the night. And he has this incredible dream with the Lord. And so he lays down and he dreams this dream where he saw the angels of God going up and down between the earth and man and between the heaven and the Lord on this ladder. And it could have been a real, if you picture a wide ladder, a staircase, whatever it might be, this is what Jacob saw. And I thought as I was studying this week, and you could take this thought and be encouraged by it because it's interesting to think about it. If this was the case back in those days, then the question is, wow, is that still happening today? And the New Testament tells us that angels are ministering spirits. And it would seem to think that there's something going on with the Lord and angels and believers and the earth and this thing going up and down. And so something interesting to think about that, again, so many things in the spiritual realm that you and I visually can't see, and yet nonetheless they are taking place. And we often think of spiritual warfare in that sense, but this is the other positive side of it, of God's angels ministering spirits doing his work. And so this is what Jacob sees. He sees this ladder and angels going up and down, between the earth and heaven. And um, the Lord says, now the Lord promises directly, as he had done to Abraham and to Isaac, he does to Jacob, that I am your God, and I will give you this land. Your descendants are going to be numerous, and all the earth, here it is, will be blessed through you. And the most incredible promise, no doubt, would, 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 and would mean so much, was in verse 15, where he says, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and I'll bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I promised you. And then Jacob awoke from the sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And so Jake, the Lord appeared to Jacob, assuring him, first of all, of great blessing. Jacob, I'm with you. I'm going with you. I'll bring you back to this land. And note that some of you who God is leading and you're wondering where is he, either where he's leading, how long will he leave me? You know, 20 years here, 20 years before Jacob would come back. So, again, I'm not saying every time we make a step, it's a 20 year thing. But oftentimes you and I are so impatient and God is leading and we need to realize that we need to be open this time. So he assures him of this blessing. But then again, he assures him, as I started with this morning, that he'll protect him. I'll be with you. I'll watch over you. And, and like we've already pointed out, the Lord has made the same promise to you and I today. And so why did the dream come that Jacob would know that God would be with him wherever he goes? And so there are some things then to note in this whole thing. There's the assurance that God was with Jacob. It caused Jacob to worship. The assurance that God would help Jacob, it moved Jacob ahead with confidence. And the assurance that it was all of God and none of Jacob shows us it was all of grace, really. And that's really encouraging. And so when we come to understand as believers the same thing that the Lord is with us, that should be happening in our lives. It should move us to a worship of God. And, and that doesn't just mean like a Sunday morning. I, I shouldn't exclude Sunday morning. You know, if we are a believer, and obviously I'm talking to the wrong crowd right now because you're here. But if we're a believer and we never find ourselves in church connected with the body of Christ, something's wrong. 
we are not reading the scriptures correctly and interpreting them correctly. And yet we don't want to limit worship to this experience because worship is so much more. Worship can be something as simple and short as when something happens and you're in your car at work or in your house, you automatically just give God praise and thank him for it. That's worshiping God. And so that should come forth from our lives. And then having the assurance that God's with us, again, should cause us to move ahead, blessing others, and most of all, see it that it's all of grace, nothing that we've done. And don't forget that as we continue with this family, that it is God's grace at work. Because what we see and the things that will happen, it's easy to say, you know, why Jacob? I mean, last week, if you were here, you remember what he did in the the manipulating of the blessing, you know, Uh, his mom in on it, making the stew and him dressing up in his brother's clothing and everything. And, you know, it speaks to us because you guys, guess what? So often we are like that. Have you ever saw the Lord bless somebody or the Lord is doing something in somebody else's life? And maybe you wish it was happening in your life, but it's not. And all of a sudden you kind of say, why them, Lord? Because why? You know some stuff on them. You know some dirty laundry on them, maybe. And you know what? It's because of grace, see? And the same is true for you and I. You know, we, we realize that as well, that, you know, what we have and how God has blessed us because of His grace. And so, for Jacob, this moment, this vision and dream is really significant because as he awoke, look at verse 16 again. What does he say? Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And you know what's probably happening here, you guys? This very well might be the moment that the Lord became personal and real for Jacob. What we call being born again or uh, his uh, coming to Christ, if you will. Where he went from being, the Lord went from being his parents' Lord and God to being his own Lord and God. And that's why he says what he does. I didn't know the Lord was in this place. In other words, he could have easily said, I didn't know the Lord. And all of a sudden, here he is, you know. And I thought, you know, that is an awesome thing to think about. Because sometimes, don't you find yourself alone in a place that's unfamiliar? That's where Jacob is. He's on his way of over uh, close to a 500-mile journey. And he spends the night in this place. And I could just imagine the thoughts that were going through his mind. It reminded me when I thought about it of the time I went to India several years ago. I had, you know, Pastor Ken with me from Spokane. And it was a great trip and everything. But let me tell you, there were moments, you know, when you just realized where you were and you were with one person you knew, one person that spoke English really good, you know, and you were making your way throughout a continent that took you 36 hours with layovers and everything to get to. And let me tell you, it was good to know that God was with me, especially after I broke my ankle and had to make my way back with a broken ankle, see? And so that's where Jacob is. And he's in this place, you know, and spending the night. And then God all of a sudden shows him this thing. And again, it was awesome. You know, notice God's making the move. Jacob's not doing it. That's always how it is. And God wanted Jacob to know what he thought of him. And he says, Jacob, you're my man. Jacob, I will do to you as I did to your dad and to your grandfather. The blessings now in you, I'll be with you. I'll lead you. I'll bring you back. And no wonder he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And so... Again, very likely this is what we would call a conversion experience where God became real to him. And that's what conversion is, that place and time where we as individuals realize the Lord is real 
and wants to be a part of my life. And let me just say this this morning to any of us that are here, especially if we're younger. It does have to come to a point where it becomes personal, doesn't it? You know, as parents, we take our kids to church. We're supposed to do that. Train a child up in the way of the Lord. Nothing's wrong with that. But then there comes a point where every individual has to face Jesus and either say, I'll follow you or I won't follow you. And of course, that's what conversion is. And so we see this incredible dream and here's his response. Verse 17, he was afraid and said, and again, I don't think it's afraid in the sense like um, he's going to run away from God. I think it's afraid in the sense that he's overwhelmed and awed by everything. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. It reminded me when the, 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 um, the, uh, on the mountain with the disciples, Peter, James, and John. Transfiguration. You remember? And I, I think Peter got real nervous there and said, uh, how about I build some buildings for you guys? You know, and the Lord kind of just said, you know, Peter, hold on. And so it's kind of like that. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose early in the morning. And he took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up as a pillar and he poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city had been called Luz. And then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I will take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear uh, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. That's this stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you gave me, I will surely give you a 10%. And so Jacob... Um, Jacob's visitation of the, was with the Lord was real, and you could hear it there in his voice, can't you? And and so taking the stone that he had used as a pillow, he anoints it with oil, and he makes it this memorial that we see throughout the Old Testament, whereby others would see it and say, "What's that all about?" And they would find out about what the Lord had done. And notice, I you maybe when you saw verse twenty and twenty-one and twenty-two, you went, "Ooh," and that's Jacob still growing. See. He's still growing and learning the ways of the Lord. And of course, we know when he said there, you know, if God, if you'll do this, then I'll make you my God. And we know that's not what we're to do. You know, we go to God and we say, you are my God, regardless of what happens. And so he's growing there. And even when he says, you know, if you bless me, then I'll give you 10%. It kind of made me cringe a little bit because I think it's so incredible that God allows us to retain the 90, you know. When it's like, here you go, Lord, here's 10. You know, it's like, oh, gee, you know, it just seems so trite. And yet that's exactly what's going on here. But Jacob is growing. And so verse chapter 29, then Jacob went on his journey and he came to the land of the sons of the east. And he looked and he saw a well in the field and behold, there three flocks of sheep were lying there besides it. And from that well, they watered the flocks. And so this is now the whole picture of the map. If you look at that. The lines are the, a map of the patriarch's journeys. But over on the right here, you can see Beersheba down at the bottom. You can see Bethel where he spent the night. And now he'll make it all the way up north to Haran. And this is where, of course, he will find Laban and uh, meet Rachel and, of course, to become his bride. And so he arrives there. And uh, very likely he had now made his way to the very spot his father's servant had come when he came to get a wife for him, him, Rebecca. And it's because, verse 6, uh, they, the reason we know that is Rachel, who's part of the family, will come out to water her sheep. And so verse uh, 2 at the end, Now the stone on the mouth of the well was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, they would then roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place on the mouth of the well. 
And Jacob said to them, My brothers, where are you from? And they said, We are from Haran. And he said to them, Do you know Laban the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And he said to them, Is it well with him? And they said, It is well. And here is Rachel, his daughter, coming with the sheep. And so Jacob learns that he has made it to Haran and very possibly asking these herdsmen if they know Laban. They knew of Laban and they knew more of Laban than Jacob knew. And they knew, it seems like, what Jacob would soon find out. And again, I may be reading into this, but the answers are a little bit interesting. They do tend to be short and unemotional when he says, do you know him? And he said, they just said, we know him. It is well. They're not going to go any farther with this guy. And you'll see because Laban, Jacob meets his match and then some in this character named Laban. And not only had Jacob made it to Haran, but again, he made it to his family as he is told that the woman he sees now coming to the well is actually Laban's daughter, his uh, mother's brother. And something worth noting in these verses, as I like to sometimes, I think some of the coolest things in the scripture are the types and the pictures is found in the stone being placed over this well. It was there really to protect the well, okay? Mainly if an animal would fall into that well and die, it would pollute the water. And you can imagine how valuable these wells were, how important they were. There weren't a lot of them. And so they had put this rock over there and protect it. And uh, it's interesting that um, in this well and this stone, there's some spiritual things And it really is a picture for you and I of that of protecting our lives from influences that can come in and harm our lives. And so the stone is a picture of that. And of course, anytime we hear the word stone, your thoughts should be drawn to Jesus Christ, who is the cornerstone. And so what? Jesus can protect our life as he is over our life, isn't he? Then it protects us from influences that can come in and hurt our life and even destroy our life and make it of no value anymore. And you guys note that. Maybe some of you need to note it more than others. You know, maybe you say, well, the stone isn't off my well. You know, Jesus is over my life. But maybe you've shoved him a little bit to the side. And so there is a gap there, actually. And it doesn't take much of a gap for something to get in there. And I was thinking about telling some dead animal story, but I won't, okay? Because you've all had yours and I've had mine, and we'll just leave them at that. But it is a beautiful picture, isn't it? That as a stone was over the well, so if Jesus is our stone and the rock of our lives, he needs to be over our lives and protecting our lives then from those influences. And again, I just would encourage you that if there's something going on in your life and there's influences coming into your life that you know are not of the Lord and the Spirit is trying to check you on it, then man, how much longer are you going to go before you do something about it? So verse 7, it says this whole thing taking place. Jacob said, Behold, it is still high noon. So he's talking to these shepherds that were already there with their sheep. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered. And they roll the stone from the mouth of the well. And then then we water the sheep. And so Jacob, being himself a herdsman, learning from the best, his grandfather Abraham, his father Isaac, now he himself, became an incredible herdsman. And next week we'll see that when we get into chapter 30. But he questions them, what the heck are you watering your livestock for at noon when there's still time for grazing? See, they would usually water them probably in the morning and at night. But here they are at noon. And uh, again, this is a man who has great success and had great success with Laban's livestock. 
And so there's a lot of things that you want to note about Jacob. Most of so far we're noting seems to be negative. But here comes through something. This is not a lazy man. This is a man who was industrious. He was generous. He was zealous. And he was a successful shepherd. And he knew what he's talking about. And when he came today, and when he sees these sheep and these shepherds sitting there, he realizes what he's really dealing with is some lazy shepherds. And again, you just remember that next week. I'm not sure I'll remember to point it out. But when you see God start blessing Jacob and his sheep, and then what happens with the other sheep and those herdsmen, you'll realize he's right here. And he's trying to tell them, you know, what the heck's going on here? You guys aren't doing this thing the right way. And so verse 9, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob went up and rolled the stone from the mouth of the well, and he watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And then he kissed Rachel, he lifted his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was a relative from her father, and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. And so like Jacob, Rachel herself, again, I love this, she is not a lazy woman. Do you see this? She's described here as a shepherdess. And ladies, I hope that encourages you because that's what the Lord wants. He wants men and women who will give themselves to what they're doing and give themselves especially to the Lord's work, being hardworking um, for Him and the things of Him. And so I, I, I can just imagine what she was like, you know. She's coming and who's at the well? Men, shepherd, right? And here comes this, who knows how old she was, but here comes this woman with her household's flocks. And she's got them under control. She's taking care of them. She knows what to do. And I just love the picture we see in there. And so she comes to the well. Jacob, again, he's not lazy. He removes the stone. And again, you wonder why those other guys didn't. They said, we're waiting, you know. It's like, well, remove the stone and get at it, you know. And at first I thought, well, was a stone so big they couldn't remove it by themselves? But Jacob does it. And so he removes the stone and he waters Rachel's sheep for her. And again, I think it was just this incredible gesture of kindness. And you do have to wonder, what was Rachel thinking? You know, no doubt she came every day, a couple times a day, to draw water, to water the sheep. And now the day as she comes, she probably noticed a stranger. And then the stranger all of a sudden starts watering her sheep. But having finished, he then kisses Rachel. Again, something acceptable a custom of the day, and with tears in his eyes, he tells her who he is, and she runs to tell her father. And so, again, there's a couple things that I want to point out to you that really can speak to our hearts and our lives. First of all, I want you to note the circumstances. Because some people would just say it's luck or coincidence, but really, we know it's God's leading. And so what happens? Jacob takes off. He happens to... Did he just happen to be near Haran and make it to Haran? Uh, did he just happen to wander to the spot where the well was located? Did he just happen to be near Laban, the person he was going to? And now was it just an accident that Rachel actually came out as well, the woman that he would marry? And so again, it reminds us the Lord's leading. As he has taken this step, um, he, God's leading, and the timing and events show us this, that a loving, sovereign God was watching over his life and again, the same is true for you and I. You know, so often, um, I was thinking Wednesday night, I had a lady in the fellowship come up to me that she's going through something in her life. There's some stuff going on. 
And she came up to me and she was saying, you know, two or three times now, the Lord has brought this passage up to me, either directly or through individual people. And I can't figure out what he's trying to say. I said, what passage? Not joking here. And she told me, I said, oh, that's very interesting. I read that passage this morning for my devotions. <laughs> I said, and it was right before teaching. So I said, can you talk to me afterwards? So as she was leaving outside, we were talking. And she says, what do you think? I said, I think the Lord is trying to encourage your heart that you have made a decision. You are going in the right way. And he is showing you in this passage that. And she goes, that's what I thought. I said, I think you're on track, you know. And so again, so often these things will happen to us. And we want to think because we are wretched, wretched, saved by grace, that I'm not worthy of God's leading and guiding. But let me tell you, once you come to Christ, you are worthy. He does lead you. And these incredible things do happen for us. And the second thing to think about is, too, as Jacob saw Rachel and then served her and watering the sheep. It's a beautiful picture again here, you guys, that this is exactly what Christ has done for you and I. He saw us while we were yet sinners. He came to us. He saved us, died on the cross doing what we could not do. See, and I thought, what a beautiful picture is now Jacob serves Rachel. That's exactly what Jesus has done to you and I. And, you know, you say that makes me uncomfortable. And I think it should because you realize who you are and who Jesus is. And it's humbling when the son of God, God himself, comes and serves you. And yet you need to understand that's exactly what has taken place, that he left his home in glory and he came to serve you and I just as we see here. And so let's go on. Verse 13. Um, so when Laban heard the news of Jacob, his sister, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and he embraced him and he kissed him and he brought him to his house and then related to Laban all these things. Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? So obviously, again, the character of Jacob here, he's a worker. He's been doing something in the house, right? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Uh, every young person's dream. They apply for the job and say, you name your salary price. Yeah. <laughs> now Laban had two daughters and the name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Verse 17, and Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful of form and face. And Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than to give her to another man. And again, if you want to know any more about the character of Laban, it's right there. In other words, eh, no big deal. Yeah, I'd rather ever marry you than anybody else. You know, this, this, this guy's not a great guy. And so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. And what do they say about love, huh? It just blinds you to everything, right? And so, man, seven years out of love. So, But that's what took place. And so maybe the moment he saw her at the well, sometime in that first month, Jacob knew, I want to marry that girl. And he fell in love with Rachel. He wanted her to be his wife. And so having served Laban for that month, when he's asked, what do you want for pay? He says, I'll tell you what, I want Rachel for my wife. And he says, I'll give you seven years of work for her. In other words, like a dowry, okay? which passed because they were in love um, uh, like days. And the normal, by the way, was about 14 months. And so that's what love will do to you at times. It'll make you do crazy things, right? Make you do a whole lot more work than you really need to. But anyway, 
And so verse 21, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife for my time is complete that I may go to her. And Laban gathered all the men of the place and he made a feast. So here's the wedding feast. Now in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and he brought her to him and Jacob went into her. Then Laban also gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. And so it came about in the morning and you knew this was going to happen before it was behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, Jacob did, what is this that you've done to me? Was it not for Rachel I served with you? Why then? And again, seven years. Why then have you deceived me? But Laban said, it is not the practice in our place to marry off the younger brother before the firstborn. And again, just pause there for a minute. That could have been culturally true. Probably wasn't, had to be. But if you think that Laban did not have a chance in seven years to let Jacob know, guess what? I'm going to do this to you. You're wrong. So this shows you what Laban is like, okay? And so verse 27, complete the week of this one and we will give you the other one also of service which you shall serve with me for another seven years. And Jacob did so and completed her week and he gave his daughter Rachel as his wife. Laban also gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel at her maid, as her maid. And so Jacob went into Rachel also, and indeed he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban for another seven years. And so Jacob now meets, like I said, his match in Laban, his mother's brother. One author said he not only met his match, he met his means of discipline. And again, that's what took place. Jacob had deceived his father, and more so he had deceived his brother out of the birthright and out of the blessing, and now he found himself on the end of being deceived. And so working his seven years, the feast is held. No doubt it was a great time, a joyous time. But when it came time for Rachel and Jacob to consummate their marriage, it would seem that there was a tent that the bride would go to. Uh, Laban has Leah go in there. It's dark. Jacob goes in thinking it's Rachel. And in the morning finds out it isn't Rachel, but it's Leah, the older sister, and discovering the deception that had taken place. Alan Ross put it this way, and I thought this is good for us to understand what we're talking about here. This was a masterpiece of shameless treachery, unloved Leah given to a man in love with Rachel. And again, I'm not trying to cover up the Bible. You got a dad here doing something he really shouldn't have done. Can you imagine, Leah? You know, put flesh and skin on this, you guys. Here's a daughter that, yeah, she was the oldest, but do you think if you were in that case that you would say, well, let's do this, honey, we'll take care of you. There'd be something you say, well, Dad, he doesn't love me. He loves Rachel, our si- the sister, you know. And so it's just a it's, it's a horrible thing, really, that's taken place. And it really was shameless of, of what was going on. And so no doubt, probably at this moment, Jacob then understood what he had done to Esau. And he felt what he had done to him, how he had deceived him in the same way. And so he finds himself then in the throes of God's discipline. And you guys, it reminds us of something that we can't ignore in the Bible. There's a principle that as you sow, you will reap. And there is some truth to that. In Galatians 6, Paul wrote, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this is what he'll also reap. For the one who sows to the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so Jacob had sown in his flesh, had he not. He had tricked his brother. He had tricked his dad. It was all himself. It was in in his own strength, if you will. 
And that's what he is reaping back now. He was reaping Laban's flesh back. But how much better, you guys, and this is the application for you and I, so to the Spirit, so by the Spirit. And that means, you know, to the things of God, to the ways of God, give yourself to that. So that way, be led of the Spirit, be led of Christ's heart, you know, in your heart. Be led in that way and exchange what you'll reap. You'll reap the things of God, eternal life and, and blessings. And that's really the message to us. And we know that, don't we? You know, so often when we are in the flesh and we sow that way, you just watch. It often comes back to you and I. And so that's what the Lord says. And so Jacob had sown to the flesh and that's what he reaped. But again, how much better the other way? Well, then let me finish a chapter and then I want to come back and finish with something about Jacob that I think can encourage you and send you out this morning. So verse 31, Now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved and he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And so... Be careful you don't put something on Jacob that he doesn't deserve. He never said he loved Leah here. Okay? And so you've got to be careful. He may be getting the same thing that he had done, but it was all Laban's doing. Okay? And so you've got victims involved in here. And so verse 32, Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she named him Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore he was named Levi. Now watch the difference. Watch what happens with the fourth son. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. And therefore she named him Judah. And then she stopped bearing. And she'll eventually have a couple more children. And so a sad situation, as is always the case, when man's ways are followed as to the Lord's. And so Leah, an older sister, she's an unwanted wife, hoped Jacob would come to love her. Sadly, though, she did so, and she thought the children would do that. And so with each one, she hoped that Jacob would then love her. And the encouraging thing, if there's, I'll show you, there is some encouraging thing here. Is first of all, this is the beginning of the nation of Israel. And note where it begins. It begins with Leah, as the first four tribes of the nation of Israel will come through her. So that's encouraging. See, even though man had rejected her and man was rejecting her, God was not rejecting her and God had his hand on her. And then there's really, I think, some incredible comfort that comes out in the names of God, at least for you and I. Reuben means behold a son is what it means. And so she was hoping that Jacob would say behold a son and love her. But it of course didn't happen. And so it meant behold a son and it says that the Lord she knew then she named him that because the Lord had seen her affliction and given her this son. And if we are in some difficulty, if we're in a, in, a, in some type of affliction or the next time we are, we can know that as we go through the thing that the Lord sees what we're going through. Simeon means God hears. And knowing that she was unloved, she knew the Lord had heard her cry and given her the second son. And, and so she was hoping that, again, this would win Jacob over, that he would hear her and hear this. But again, it, it reminds us that one, the Lord sees and that the Lord hears our cries. That's important, isn't it? Because, see, sometimes when we're going through a hard time, we hear our cry, but we're not always convinced the Lord hears our cry. But you can know for sure that if you are in Christ, He hears your cry, 
And so, again, if you doubt, don't doubt the word. And the word does say that he heard he hears the cries and he heard that. And I thought, you know, what spoke to my heart, too, is that when I think of a person like Leah and the pain this lady had to be in, the Lord just nudged at my heart and said, and Scott, make sure that you don't forget that there are people out there at times that are in this way and you need to go to them and minister to them. And of course, I want to broaden that because I think that's for all of us here today, too. And so we want to hear our cry. We want the Lord to hear our cry. But you guys, it really isn't just about us. It's not about us at all. And so we have to be very sensitive at times when God will bring Aaliyah into our life, someone who is in great pain. And yeah, God is their answer. But we may be that vehicle for a time or a while to minister to them and to help them and encourage them. So again, we want to be sensitive. The third son was Levi. Interesting, his name means joined. And of course, she was thinking, now I'll be joined with Jacob. He'll love me. But really, what was cool is that she would be attached to the Lord. And then lastly, you notice what happened. Judah means praise. And so it's almost as if with the first three, she says, okay, this will get Jacob. This will win Jacob over. And finally, it seems like something had happened in that that fourth pregnancy where she just said, forget Jacob, you know, and she just she realizes it's from God and she says she names him Judah because she said this time I will praise the Lord and so she found the satisfaction she was looking for in Jacob where in the Lord and and so then she stops bearing children next week scan down there you'll see the other tribes mentioned the other names of the kids Um, there'll be 12 more of course two more will come from Leah Uh, four will come from the maidservants that were named this week And the last one will actually come from Rachel. But as we close, this is where I want to head. I want to show you something with Jacob. On the one hand, when we think of Jacob, we think that, okay, he's getting what he deserves. Last week, we saw what he did to his brother. We saw what he did to his dad, how he cheated them out of this stuff and tricked them. And so he's getting what they deserve. But I really hope that none of us will take pleasure in that type of thinking. Because when we think that way, we realize... Boy, Lord, I don't want to get what I deserve. And so the first thing I want you to realize is that how we need the grace of God. And I think that's what Jacob's life speaks to you and I, too. Again, I look at Jacob's life and I go, my goodness, Lord, couldn't you pick somebody else? And really, God would say, oh, yeah, go ahead and name one. (laughs) Go ahead. You name one. And I'll start to show you what their life is like. And of course, the same, you know. You know, if God, if God's picked me, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, picked somebody to write Moses to write down all the events of my life. And all of a sudden you found yourself reading it. I'll tell you what, I'm not sure you'd be here this morning. (laughs) You'd just go, man, what a rat, you know. But again, what do we see? We see the grace of God. And I, I think that's really important to understand as we see it. On the other hand, the other thing to take is when you look at verse 25, look at it again. When Jacob finds out that he had been tricked and he had really thought he had been, the marriage was consummated with Rachel when it would be consummated with Leah, he says, what is this you've done to me? What it, was it not Rachel I served you? And we could put in there, yeah, seven years. And there's no doubt he's been prospering, uh, Lebanon has. Why then have you deceived me? Okay, so that's a reaction. But after that, you guys, after that initial reaction, it seems, though, that then there's an acceptance in his heart of what's going on. He completes the week of marriage with Leah. That's what that means in verse 28. 
then he will serve another seven years. He actually gets Rachel right then, verse 30, but he'll serve another seven years for a total of 14 years now. And so it would seem that this man had done his, who had done his share of deceiving truly had come or was coming to understand what it was to have a relationship with the living God, accepting the things that were now coming his way and even learning and growing from them. And that's what you and I need to do as well. God took him, God developed his character, turned him from a deceiver to a servant, blessed him, would bless others through him, would build a nation upon him. And so what could have been a major setback for Jacob, and he could have just gone and continued to be that old Jacob, became a minor setback for spiritual growth and ultimately fruit in his life. And the same can be true for you and I. The difference is how we'll approach it. If we approach the setbacks in our life, in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our flesh, then we will end up with fruit. But it'll be anger and unforgiveness and bitterness and on and on and on. But if we realize when these minor setbacks come, or even if we call it a major setback, that we'll just give it over to the Lord, accept what's going on, then the Lord can take that thing and can really work a neat thing in our life. And so... Think of what you're going through right now, you know, and not all you, I'm sure, hopefully not all of us are in some type of major thing, but whether in a major thing or a minor thing, how are you approaching it? You know, are you looking at it as I've been, I'm being treated unfairly. Why is this happening to me? And on and on and on and on. You're looking at it the wrong way. Or are you looking at it? Okay, Lord, I know you're with me. I know you'll get me out of this thing. And I know if I have the right heart and the right attitude, I will actually grow and benefit from this thing. And that's how we need to do it. Too often, you guys, as believers, as they say, it's kind of corny saying, but I'll use it. We are always looking at the glass being half empty. And when we could be looking at it as being half full. And so things come our way, don't they? It never stops, does it? You know? Some of you are older than I am, and you could say, no, it never stops. You that are younger, I'm sorry to tell you that, it never stops. Okay? There's always something on the horizon where God is asking you to trust Him. And so again, I just encourage you that when these things take place in our life, look at them in the right way. God has not abandoned you. He has not forsaken you. He is with you. He will bring you through it. And so just say, okay, God, let's do that. And press ahead, see? Don't be, I'm reading a book right now about getting out of a pit. And I love it because Beth Moore is the author and she says, you know, she's talking about being a former pit dweller. And I like that because sometimes the honesty, that's where too many of us live as believers. We are in the pit and we stay in those stupid pits. And I just encourage you to understand that, that you don't have to do that. The Lord wants to take us beyond that. He wants to push us out of that comfort zone. And so, whatever the Lord spoke in your heart this morning, there you go. Amen? Let's stand.